that is on the QR code as well. And leftovers? Oh boy. Go to Revelation chapter 8. That's where we're living today. Um, put a finger there, and then you're going to be going back and forth to the Old Testament passages. But here we're going to go over the first four trumpets of judgment, and all seven are definitely trumpets of God's judgment on the earth. The application for today is that we live in a silent peace and trust of his righteous judgment. Now, as you read through Revelation, and, I, and people read through Revelation, one thing I get, end up getting pretty regularly, oh, it is really scary. And it, and it tends to seem to store in a lot of people anxiety. Okay? And, and so today, I think we're going to talk about why we shouldn't have that anxiety or that fear. And we're going to talk about how to process those emotions. And we're going to talk about how God's judgments, Yahweh's judgments, Jesus' judgments are right and true. Now, it's easy to say that about Revelation, which is either happened in the past and it's all uh, just examples of God's judgment, or it's, or it's uh, all just imagery and never is going to fully physically happen that way, or it's all symbology, or it is actually going to happen in the future. But out of any of those, you're still going to come to the conclusion that God's judgments are right and true. And I wanted to tell you today that in the situation that you're walking in, in the, in the struggle that you're having, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord, then God is working in your heart and in your life. And his judgments are right and true. And all that busyness, all that anxiety you feel about that issue that you're struggling through or that you've been just getting tumbled by, right, doesn't have to be there. It doesn't have to be there. Not consistently. Yes, it's going to ebb and it's going to flow. But it doesn't have to be to the point of where you're living. Because God's judgments are right and true. And is he seated on his throne or not? He is seated on his throne, bringing judgment to the world, ultimate judgment in the future, but even judgment now in your life. Nothing's going in on in your life that God's like, uh-oh, <laughs> oops, <laughs> I messed up. Is that true? No. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lamb opened the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. 
seventh seal is broken. So far, the scroll is not even open yet. You understand? We're just breaking seals. And you have seven of them. The first seal, remember, was first four seals was the horsemen of the apocalypse, right? And then the fifth seal was the saints under the altar, right? Remember that? Then the sixth seal was uh, demonic forces. No, it was the judgment on the heavens, yes. The ho- heavenly host, remember that? that? And now we're at the seventh seal. We had set chapter seven was an interlude, right? It was like when you're reading that comic book, you have this little pop out, okay, of the timeline. So now we're at the seventh seal. Now the scroll is open. Now we're looking, going to begin to look at the contents of the scroll. What's in it? The seal is broken. The scroll is open. Zechariah 2.14 says, Be silent, all flesh, before, the, before Yahweh, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Now, there's two sides of the coin. If you don't know God, if you have not confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then this is a silence of terror. This is a silence of fear. But if you have confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you believe in the work of God, walking in your life, you believe, you're responding to him, then this is a silence of awe. This is a silence of peace and Because you know, you know that he judges rightly. You know that he is working all things together for your good, for his glory, to conform you to the image of Christ. You know, you see? So you do not need to have this fear of, he's going to squish me. Because that's not the reality. If you've confessed him as Lord, if you haven't, then I I implore you, (laughs) confess Jesus as Lord. The power of silence in life. Silence is a very powerful thing. It's powerful when I speak. If I'm silent, I can even make a huge point just by being quiet, can't I? Right? Just as much as I could make a point by yelling. Right? Soft answers, turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Right? So you can have silence or softness, or you can be harsh. Both have function. But in silence, there's stillness. Right? Or can be. Sometimes we can try to be silent with our mouth, but our brains, right, are, are not even close to silence, right? Archie May uh, requires me now to take a uh, personal retreat day once a month. And part of that assignment is I have to be quiet <laughs> before the Lord. That's like part of my day that I'm supposed to do that. 
not easy. It's hard to get the mind to just rest in God's goodness, in his righteous judgment. But silence is so important as part of the rhythm of life. Just think about even just our seasons, right? There is times when the ground is super productive, right? And then there is times when the sat ground is fallow. It's dormant, right? In a sense, it is silent. In our busy schedule, we do not create very much time or space in our, in our ethic for silence, for quietness. Even when we relax, we're busy. Yes? Yeah. How many of you often go on vacation and end up just as tired after vacation as you were before you went? Because you did nothing but the whole time but do. Right? You went and had this fun activity, that fun activity, this fun. Uh, Ron and I are going on a retreat. Coming up at the end of the, no, it's the end of this month. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm sure that there's going to be tons of activities for us to do. But we're going to have a choice at some point. Are we going to make time just to be still? Right? And our automatic reaction typically is, oh, no, I don't want to be still. And part of the reason we don't want to be still, we don't want to be silent before the throne, is because all of life tends to crash on us. Ever have that happen? You slow down and then all of a sudden it's like, emotional dump, right? So there's power in the silence of life. Heaven is silent. There has been a lot of activity in heaven, right? We read four and five, and, and, and these, the, the cherubim, the four living creatures are falling down, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? And, and the 24 hours are falling down, and they're, they're praising the Lord, and they're worshiping, and they're casting their crowns, and, and they're offering the prayers of the saints, right? And the angels of millions and millions of angels are all saying in one voice, holy, 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 we worship the Lord God Almighty, right? It is loud, and, and it's probably beautiful, but in one sense, it's busy, right? It's busy. And you had the scrolls, the seals of the scroll being opened, and you have destruction being wrought on the earth through human means, human tools, right? But yet the four living creatures are silent. The angels are silent. The saints are silent. All of heaven is silent before Yahweh and the Lamb. The seals are broken. The scroll is now opening. It's opening, unrolling. And Yahweh and the Lamb, they are ready for action. They have roused themselves from heaven. Habakkuk 2.19 says, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. It's talking about worshiping another god besides God. To a silent stone, arise. Can this keep? 
Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But Yahweh is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth keep silence before him. Let the whole earth keep silence before him. Do we take time to be silent before God and just listen? Listen to what he has to say. Listen to his message that he has for us. This is hard. This isn't easy. We don't even have really the art of listening down with God. As soon as we're quiet, our mind fills with all kinds of things. Right? Good guide would be read a passage of scripture and just be, Lord, what do you have to say about this passage? Bring to mind. I'm listening. Listening to God. Being silent. Being quiet. Being still. Psalm 62. God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Who's his confidence in? God saving him. God walking in him. How long will you attack a man to batter him? Leaning like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. This sounds like life, right? They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they, they curse. For God alone, my soul waits in for my hope is from him. He only is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. Pour out your heart before him. The path to silence of peace and trust is one of pouring out your heart. Before him. God is a refuge 
Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balance they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in exhortation. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard them. That power belongs to God, not to me. It's not to my circumstances, not to my situation, but power belongs to God. For he is my rock, he is my salvation, he is my refuge. Do you make that cry for you yourself? Is that what you cry out? He is my hope. And that to you, O Lord, belongs <laughs> steadfast love. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, what happened? Say it loud. Christ died for us. He who knew no sin became sin on my behalf so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That steadfast love. That breeds, that forms trust and love and peace in my heart before an almighty God who judges Rightly. Now this last one. For you will render to a man according to his work. And now some of us will freak out. Well, what, 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 what? I got to work for my salvation. No. John 6 says our work is to believe. It's to respond to what God has done and is doing. To respond in belief. Do you believe? Do you choose to believe that God is working then, God is working now, and that God is working and will be working in the So we need to come to a point of silence before the throne of grace, knowing that Yahweh will give us his steadfast love through the work of Jesus. Our work is to believe in Jesus, whom Yahweh has sent. That is our work, to believe, to respond. And I would say even the fact that we can respond has been empowered by the work of the Spirit in our lives. But we still have a choice to respond in belief. 
when we go through seasons of doubt, yes, does that unsave us? No, because it is not all walks that saves us, but the walk of Jesus. Revelation 8, 2, man, we're really flying. I'm almost out of time. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Who are these seven angels? Well, there is a couple options, and you get a pick. They are the seven angels who will blow their trumpets of judgment, right? That's pretty obvious from the text. But it seems like John infers that there's more context to these angels because he's like, these are the seven angels who stand before the throne. So what is he talking about here? Well, to the first century Christian, uh, they are the seven archangels, archangels of Jewish apocalyptic writings, Uriel, Raphael, Raghul, Michael, Theriel, and Gabriel. So oftentimes they saw these angels, these archangels, as standing before the throne. So maybe some first century Christians thought it was these guys. They could also be the seven angels of the seven churches. That's a possibility, depending on how you interpreted those seven angels back in the beginning of Revelation 2 and 3. Some people interpret them as pastors. Some people p interpret them as supernatural beings. Um, yeah, so it could be that. But without a doubt, they are the seven angels who will bring the trumpet judgment. That's, that's without a question. That's who they are. They're going to bring the seven trumpet judgment upon the earth. Now the trumpet, we don't know what kind of trumpet. We don't know if it's a shofar or a brass trumpet. We just don't know. The text doesn't give us that information. It's a trumpet. Revelation 3 through 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. Sorry, that's really good. Can you mute me? <coughs> Thank you. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God and the hand, from the hand of the angel. Prayers of the saints rising with the incense of God as a pleasing aroma. Psalm 141, O Lord, I call you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayers be counted as incense before you and lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds. In company with men who walk iniquity, and let them not eat of their let me not eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous man strike me; it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me; it is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. 
Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds when their judges are thrown over a cliff. Then they shall hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall all bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of the evil doers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass safely by. Leviticus 2, 1 through 3 says, Then anyone who brings a grain offering as an offering to Yahweh, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take it from a hand take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all I- of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn it, this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to Yahweh. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is most holy part of the Lord's food offering. Our prayers, the prayers of the saints, You are saints. If you've confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are a saint. That is who you are. So our prayers, the prayers of the saints, are rising as a pleasing aroma before Yahweh. He's not annoyed to hear from you. He's not impatient with you. He's not like, oh, bother. There's that pastor again whining about his back. Can't believe it. No. Oh, he's not, oh, bother. There's that pastor again talking about all his people. Man, sounds like a broken record. That's not the way he takes our prayers. They are a pleasing aroma before Yahweh. So God wants us to talk with him. He wants us to lament until we are silent before his majesty, until we are silent before his righteous judgments. Why? Why? So we can live in a silent peace and But there is a road to that. That just doesn't come. I can't just say, nope, I don't feel something. Because God made me to feel. God made emotions. Revelation 8.5 says, Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings of flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Our prayers, as they rise as a pleasing aroma before Yahweh, they affect what transpires here on earth. God wants us to talk to him. God wants us to process life with him. He doesn't want us only to be interceding. He wants to have a conversation with us. But intercession is part of our calling, for we are a kingdom of priests. Priests intercede for people on behalf of God. 
So intercession is part of our ministry. Peterson says, prayer is the God-ordained conduit through which he has determined to channel his sovereign power and response to the concerns of the saints. This effectiveness of prayer becomes apparent in the judgments as that follow, the trumpet judgment. God judging the earth for the injustice that has been going on for millennia. So do you pray? Do you pray? If no, then begin to talk to your Father in heaven. If yes, then how often? How often do you pray? I would encourage you to have an ongoing conversation with God throughout your day. Some of us are in a habit of getting up in the day and having a quiet time. I think that is great. Awesome. So glad you do that. But I hope that that conversation that starts with that quiet time does not stop after the quiet time. Some of us are in a habit of praying before our food before we eat, and that's a good habit. I hope that conversation doesn't stop and that thankfulness and gratitude doesn't stop after you say amen for your meal. We really should be praying or having an attitude of God's presence constantly. For he is present. And he wants to do life with us. What is the content of your prayer? When you pray, what are you praying? How are you praying? Do your prayers contain lament? What's lament, Pastor? And we're going to talk about that. So lament is the tool that is used to process our emotions and life's injustices. Lament is the tool to process life's emotion or li- our emotions and life's injustices. Who here has emotion? Uh, yeah, we all have emotion. And, and some of us process emotion differently, okay? You, you kind of, these are broad brushes, so I know I'm going to probably say, oh, I don't fit in that category, but we're going to put some categories out here. Okay, it, w- as you come with emotions, you have personality types. So you either have a personality type that fights, or personality type that runs, okay? Now, when you encounter different emotions, personality types that fight usually express the secondary emotion from their primary emotion, which is anger, right? They come out swinging, and it's a defense mechanism. So if you ever get stabbed by somebody verbally, they're a fighter. Now, if you're one of those ones that don't fight but run, then your emotions typically come out in depression. They come out in uh, doubt. They come out in fear, right? And then eventually you get pushed enough that you end up striking, but that's like way down the road. Now, I want to let you know, lament is a tool to process both of these emotions because God wants you to talk to him when you're feeling angry, and he wants you to get to the root of why you're angry. He wants to hear all about that, right? And 
when you're depressed and you're down and, you're, and you, you feel like there's no, nothing left, God wants to hear all about that complaint. You see? He wants to hear all about it. He doesn't want you to just try to shove it away. Because we all know, and we know this, but we don't practice it, but we all know that just shoving it away and ignoring it doesn't make it better, don't we? We know that that just compounds it. And what it does is it builds up, builds up, and then the people we love and the people we care about get the spew of our undealt with issues. Right? So today, this is a tool to begin to process life and to begin to process your emotions, to begin to process the injustice that you're sick, right? Or begin to process the injustice that, that you have emotional strife in your home. We all long for Eden. We all long for that new heaven and new earth, for everything to be right. And sometimes that longing creates in us sadness, or it creates in us anger, because it isn't right. And then we go, why can't you make it right? Right? But we need to process it with him. So lament is the tool that is used to process our emotions so that we can come to a place of silence before the throne in peace and trust. So it's a four-step process. It's really a four-step process. The fourth step is we turn to God. We talk to God about it. We turn our problems to God. We turn our emotions to God. God is not going to be offended by us being emotional. And God is not going to get down in the dumps because we're emotional towards him. God is not going to say, oh my gosh, again? Come on. Suck it up, Jed. Why are you yelling at me? No. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. So God is not like, oh my word, I can't believe it. You're a loser. He's like, oh yeah? Tell me more about it. So we are called to pour out our hearts. We need to turn to him and pour out our heart to God. We need to lament to just say everything that's in our heart and on our mind to him. Because he already knows. <laughs> he already knows that it's there. And so this isn't for him. This is for you. This is for you to clean out your soul. To clean out the virtual that is in there. The pus and the nastiness. So it doesn't come out on other people. So that it, you can be right before God. But if you keep pushing it away and pushing it down, ignoring it, saying, oh, it's not a big deal, then it's going to continue to sit there and fester and infect you and then infect others. So we pour out our heart to God, and then we come and we plead our request to him, whatever it is, Lord, heal me of this issue. Lord, reconcile this relationship. Lord, bring the patience that I need to have with these people. Whatever. Right? But oftentimes we don't spend the time pouring it out. 
We just go right to the solution. Lord, fix it. But that short circuits the whole process. The process is to empty ourselves before the Lord, before his throne of grace, so that we can receive the mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And when we've poured it out, and when we've pled our case, and when we're sitting now, then we do this. We trust. We make the decision to trust and pray. And yes, it's a praise. Yes, it's a decision. Because you're not going to feel like it. But you make the decision to trust and praise him seated on the throne. Because he is worthy of all praise and he is worthy of all glory. And he is worthy of your trust. He has proven it over and over again. And you can know with confidence that his character is one that will bring you through this. His character is one that the work that he began in you, he will complete it. Because he loves you. And because you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And this is the process of lament. This is what the language of the church needs to learn. Because we all walk in a broken world. And there is lots to lament. And this is the tool that God has given us to live the life that he's called us to. And as you do this, this will be a place where then you can have joy. And you can have rejoicing. And you can have praise. But if you keep short-circuiting this and just trying to go to praise, just trying to go to gratitude, just trying to go right there and not process the, the brokenness and not process the, the lament, the hurt, the complaints in your life, it isn't going to work. Because you're going to be joyful and rejoicing for a little bit, and then guess what? Those emotions, those things are going to hit you like a ton of bricks. And they're going to drive you into the ground. And then you're going to be forced to be silent. You're going to be forced to try to process them. But oftentimes we only process them a little bit. We only hit the tip of the iceberg, just enough to get functional again. And I encourage each one of you to try to find space to process it wholly. And not let it build up. We trust and praise him for who he is. So lament is the path to silence before his majesty. It's the path to silence before his righteous judgment. If we read through Revelation this next coming weeks, there is so much judgment. There is so much uh, good news for saints, but bad news for those who dwell on the earth. And if you're at all an empath, it's going to be crushing in so many ways. But you need to know that God's judgments are righteous. They're righteous from here in Revelation, but they're righteous today in your life. And God is not beset or befuddled by your problems. He's not. You may be, but God is not. And he is big enough to walk through and to refine you through your struggles. That's what he does. And if we can come to a point where we process that, we, we pour out ourselves before him, that we may live in a silent peace and trust of his righteous judgments. Revelation 8, 6, 7. 
Now, there is so much speculation on how these actually play out on the world. I just want to make one thing clear. There's lots of speculation. There's one thing that needs to be clear, and that these are supernatural events that God is acting on the world. So I am not going to waste time trying to explain how these happen naturally. Okay? Now, God does use nature, and he will destroy nature, but I'm not going to spend time trying to explain, oh, this is nuclear explosion, or you see what I mean? Because these are supernatural events that God acts out on the world. Does he maybe use a nuclear bomb? I have no idea. Maybe. Can he? Is that beyond his purview? No. Is it beyond his purview just to take a big mountain and throw it into the sea? No. You see what I mean? Okay. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on how these act out. The point is, is that a third of the earth in the trumpet is judged. Okay? And God's judgments are righteous and what, church? True, right? True in my life today, true in the seven trumpets. The first angel blew his trumpet and then followed hell and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. One third. All the little plants burned up. Blood coming down shows, speaks of death. The hell and lightning speaks of judgment. Now, all these mirror judgments that God put on Egypt. So we're going to look at those. Exodus 9.23 says, Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down on the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. Now, we got farmers here. We live in a farming community. We know how devastating hail is, right? We know how devastating how devastating a lightning strike, lighting things on fire is, right? Right? It's super destructive. This is over the one-third of the earth is consumed by this. This is massive. This is hard, but may we live in a silent peace and trust of Yahweh's righteous judgment. This is in the future, in my opinion. But today, today is today, and today God is walking, and I hope that we can live in peace and trust of his righteous judgment. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown in the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. A third, a third, a third. May we live in a silence, peace, and trust of Yahweh's righteous judgment. 
The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers, on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had, became, had, it had been made bitter. Wormwood is a plant that actually grows in uh, Asia Minor. It is a plant that uh, contains, when reduced down, narrow neurotoxins. And so, and it's a very bitter tasting plant. So this is wormwood. Now, again, lots of speculation on what this is. Is this a comet? Is it a nuclear explosion? Is it an angel? Okay. The text doesn't make it clear, but what is clear is that it's a supernatural judgment on the earth. And one-third of all the fresh water is affected. And men die, drink it, and many die from it. And it parallels Exodus. Exodus 7.20 says, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up his staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood like the sea did. Now, here it could not mean literal blood. It probably means red. It turned red. And why it turned red? God made it turn red. I don't know. Sometimes you get algae blooms that are red. But again, that's not like trying to explain it. Okay? God is going to do it. That's all I know. Okay? And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So may we live in a silent peace and trust of Yahweh's righteous judgment. This needs to be the goal for each day of our lives. What God has for me today, I submit to, and I rest in, and trust him in that process. Last verse of the day, 12, of Revelation 8. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that the third of the light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Wasn't that long ago that Canada was on fire? <laughs> like, big section. And you remember how we had multiple days that it was smoky, right? And the sun was blocked, right? There has been, in these first three trumpets alone, enough to just make this happen naturally. Does that make sense? But yet God is saying, I'm going to do a third, a third, a third, and only a third of this. I, I don't know how it all works out. But it's going to be dark. Listen to the, the plague that he put on Egypt. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Ever been in a cave? Down in a cave? Yeah? And then... They have a, like, you're way down in there, and then you turn out your light. Ever done that? That's a darkness to be felt. It's dark. And it's, if you're at all claustrophobic, don't <laughs> do it, right? It's, like, freaky, right? A darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand over heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. I love this part. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. 
all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Well, Israeli walking with his little lamp around <laughs> in the darkness and hands it to the Egyptian and whoop, right? Darkness is a judgment of God on the earth. And we all agree that Yahweh's judgments are true and right. The really practical application is that they are true and right in my life today, right now, in my week, in my processing, in, in the struggles that I'm having. He is going to judge the whole world as he judged Egypt. It is going to happen. I don't believe it's happened yet. I believe it's coming. So today, so today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to make a decision to believe in Jesus, whom Yahweh has sent. And if you already believe, then keep believing. <laughs> keep confessing him as Lord. Then come before the throne of grace, because today is the day to pour out our hearts in lament. Today is the day to empty our souls before him. To, to use him as our processing center to process the brokenness of life, to process the challenges of life. Why? So that we can have peace and trust in his righteous judgments. Church, may we live in a silent peace and trust of Yahweh's righteous judgments. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the honor and privilege it is to come before your throne of grace. And we thank you that we can come there and receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. We thank you that we can come there and process life with you and that that's what you want us to do. We pray that you would give us the strength to do that. We pray that you would move each one of us to make the time to do that, to be in lament before you so that we can be in silent trust and peace before you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.